Thank you, Brian. Hi, everyone. It got real cold outside, so we turned the heater on. So if you're chilly, just give it a second. It'll warm up, and uh, I'll sweat. But as long as you're warm, we're we're happy, right? Okay. Hey, they tell us when you go into like a big dinner with the family, there's two things you don't talk about, right? What are they? Politics and religion. Well, we're a church, so we're going to talk about religion, and then next week we're going to talk about politics. So. Fun stuff. But if you look in Romans uh, chapters 12 and 13, we are coming to the end of Romans. Paul talks about those things. In Romans chapter 12, it's very religious. It's talking about sacrifice, which was religion. In chapter 13, he talks about government. So guess what? We're all going to be mad. That's the thing. If, if, uh, if we can make everybody mad on both sides, we're all mad together. Therefore, we're unified in our anger and we can go forward, right? Good. Good to see it. Uh, today, uh, we get to talk about something in, in the church. You can talk about religion all you want because it's religion. Uh, but when you start talking about the Holy Spirit, then the divides happen. If you're going to talk about religion in the church, Holy Spirit is that religion, and then boom, and then you have these differences in opinions. On one side, you have a group of people who say the Holy Who, and they don't really know. And on the other side, they have everything has to do with the Holy Spirit. And, we, but as, and as humans... We, we naturally gravitate to the poles. We naturally go to either side of the arguments. We like to be holy in one side and holy in the other side. And then what happens is we argue about it. And then we don't like it. And then, and then we don't know what to do. And then we walk away mad. And then we get in our own little tribes of we believe in everything about the Holy Spirit. And then we believe only in some things or in nothing about the Holy Spirit. And none of that really drives home the unity that Paul was trying to get at in Romans. Romans is a book written to a very divided church, encouraging them to be unified in Christ. And then Paul gets to this section in Romans 12, and we talked about last week, it's the now what? Now that you've, been, now that you've seen God's mercies, offer your bodies and living sacrifices. And the first thing that he recommends after the living sacrifices is he goes and talks about the way the entire church has been gifted. He says, you have gifts God has gifted everyone. As our minds are renewed, God's spirit takes over, and then the new gifts begin to emerge that no one has ever imagined before. This is where Paul, the, Paul, the section that Paul is in. And so what we do and what we tend to do is divide over this. And we shouldn't divide over this. We shouldn't take sides. Instead, we need to sit right in the middle. In the middle is this thing called a relationship. That's what all of this is about. It's about a relationship with God. We don't need to wrap our heads around the Spirit. We don't need to explain the Spirit. We don't need to come up with ethical statements about the Spirit, which is something that Bethany usually falls into in the past. But instead, what we need to do is is have a relationship and realize the fact that the Holy Spirit is present always. He's within you. The Holy Spirit has gifted you to do things that you had never thought you would imagine. And when this happens... We're not doing anything weird. We are actually in a relationship with God because the Holy Spirit brings us to a closer relationship with God. God then defines what the relationship is like and not us. And so we take us out of it and we seek the relationship with the Spirit that empowers us and gifts us. Are we tracking here? It's not something that we need to fight over. So let's not seek to define it. Let's take the middle ground. Let's admit that the Holy Spirit is present and the Holy Spirit gifts us. Let's not seek it. Let's not seek to define. Let's seek the relationship. Here's the bottom line. The Spirit gives gifts. 
to build the church. And today we're going to look at three attributes of that gift. But first, I'm going to get a stand that doesn't, go, that doesn't collapse on me. Okay? So, Morgan, thanks. Don't worry, I'll give it back. Uh, so, the first thing that we see is, the first thing that we need to know about the gifts is that the gifts are always rooted in grace. Rooted in grace. And if you fill in blanks, I made it fun for you guys. There's blanks in your bulletin. Uh, and it says this in the first, in, in Romans uh, uh, 12.3, For by grace given to me, I say to every one of you, if you can write a thesis statement for this whole section, it's that. For by grace given to me. Paul's mentioned grace 25 times up until this point in the book. He's big on it. And here's, for by grace given to me, I say to each one of you. Paul begins this section talking about grace. This is the entire point of this passage. Grace, for him, if we're going to talk about this, we start, we're rooted. Our posture before we begin anything is in grace. Paul understands grace. He knows it far too well. He has a past that he's not too proud of. He, he swims in grace. Grace is the idea that you get something that you don't deserve. He knows how he used to be, but now he has grace, and for that reason, he can be confident to write these words. Grace is the foundation. Grace, Paul says, because he's talking about divides, grace is how we need to start viewing with each other. When we, don't talk, when we start talking about the gifts and we don't mention grace, automatically what happens is we start to compare. You and I are great at comparing. We've been doing it our whole life. I remember getting a toy and I went outside and, and I got a new bike and I go outside and my neighbors, Matt and Andy, they were brothers. They were two years apart. I was right in between them. They got a better bike. Their bike was faster. And that made a rivalry. I got Nintendo first, right? I got the gift first. They got Sega like three weeks later. All of a sudden, we're comparing. We compare. We've been doing it since we were little kids. We do it still today. Why do we compare? Because we take our eyes off of grace. Grace levels the playing field. Instead of comparing things like jobs and cars and beards and hair, some of you have wonderful hair, uh, instead of comparing uh, how much money we make or what our spouses are like or what, what we have, Paul says, none of that. When we take our eyes off of grace, which is the foundation of it all, we begin comparing and then what happens? We have divides. So Paul's treading on this topic that we don't usually want to talk about, and he says, if we're going to talk about it, stop rating each other. Instead, look at each other through the lens of grace. Grace is how we begin this. And then he gives us a little clue of how do we do this. How do we look at each other with grace? Very simple. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Why? Because grace makes you look at yourself in the proper light. When I look at myself through the lens of grace, I don't see what a failure I am. When I look at myself in the lens of grace, I don't think I'm better than anything because I know that because of grace I'm playing with house money. I didn't do anything to earn it. I have it, and I don't know why. It's all grace. Grace makes you look at yourself in sober, right judgment, not thinking of yourself too much, not thinking of yourself too little. You're not the worst thing in the world. You're not, you're, you, you don't stink. That, that's, this is the, the polls we do, and grace brings you right back into the middle and says, look at yourself in the right way. 
There's a hundred ways to describe this grace, and each one of them falls flat from what God has given us. He's given you grace. This is where all of our talks begin. Don't look at what you've accomplished or what you haven't accomplished. Look at what Christ has accomplished in you. When you start with the gifts, when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, it begins and ends with grace. Here's something that's interesting in this passage. Paul, when he uses this word grace, Craig's going to Craig's not here, Uh, but when he gets back, we'll put it on the screen. The word for grace, or Tim will do it, when we see Craig later, let's remind him of this. No, don't, grace, no, grace, 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 have grace. Paul uses this word for grace, and there it is, it's the word charis. We've heard it before. If you've been in a church, uh, you've heard the word charis is grace. This is what he says, for by the charis given to me. And, and he keeps going. And then in verse 4, he says, just as each one of you have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though we are many, form one body, and each member belongs to each other. And then he goes into verse 6, and he says, we have different gifts. The word for gifts, Tim, is it there? Charisma. Go back one. Look at the screen, everyone. Charis. Go ahead. Charisma. Do we see the same word there? When we look at the gifts, it's charisma. It's where we get our word charisma. It's, 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 the, it's the giftings that come, but do you see where it comes from? Grace. By God's grace, we are given grace. The gifts that we are given and every single one of us is given gift comes from grace. That's the beginning. We didn't do anything to earn them, so let's not brag about them. We didn't do anything to keep them, so let's not make ourselves look better than we are. It's all grace. We believe as a church, and I believe personally, that the Holy Spirit graciously gives us spiritual great gifts. Or we could say the Holy Spirit graciously gives us grace to build the church. And the churches where we find their or the churches where we find these gifts being used, and their origin is grace. Nothing else will build us more to receive them than a proper look at grace. Everything we have in our lives, our gifts, everything comes from grace. And out of grace we are given gifts. And if our gifts in our lives lead to anything that doesn't point back to the grace of what Paul said, it's missed the point. If you're using your gifts and you don't put, if it's not rooted in grace, you've missed it. If they point to make you look bigger and better than you really ought to be, you've missed it. Paul says that he has all, in Corinthians, that he has all these gifts and he can use them, but he doesn't it doesn't put it over anybody. It doesn't lord over anybody his gifts. Why? Because he has this proper view of grace. He didn't get it. He did nothing to earn it. He has it, and he uses it to give grace to other people. Your gift that you have, and you are gifted, I'll say that a lot today, is because of grace. And they, then, the next blank you have here, if your gift is out of grace, it has to point to Christ. Your gift, because of grace, will always point to Christ. Look in verse 6. We have different gifts uh, according to the grace given to each one of us. And he goes on to list them. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy according to your faith. If your gift is serving, then serve. 
If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's leading, then do it diligently. If it's mercy, then do it cheerfully. The Bible talks a lot about gifts, but what we usually end up doing in the church is we like to focus on the more supernaturally ones, right? Because that's, that's where the argument is. We want to know what people think about this. We want to know if people have experienced this. We like the... We like the, the pop and sizzle of all the supernatural gifts. But there's very, we can call them normal gifts that are listed in here. We like to talk about tongues and healings, but there's things like generosity. There's things like hospitality. Hospitality, service, encouragement, administration, things that we would deem normal. But get this, if it's a spiritual gift, if the Holy Spirit has given you this gift of generosity, There's nothing normal about it. The Holy Spirit has given it to you. It's a grace given to you to be generous. And if it points back to Christ instead of yourself, it is supernatural. It's a miracle. If you are able to write a check or if, what do we do now instead of checks? Venmo or Apple Pay or whatever we do to pass money to various organizations. If you're able to do that, and you're giving generously, whatever it is that you're giving, allows somebody to catch a glimpse of Jesus. No matter what it is, that gift, that act is supernatural. It's a miracle. And sometimes it's more flashy or more attention getting than someone hopping out of a wheelchair for the first time. Your gift, no matter what it is, points to Christ. Here's what Paul says in, in, uh, in Corinthians. He talks about the gifts here. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit that distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. There are different kinds of working, but all of them at the, at point to the same God who's at work. What's he say? Different gifts, different things, all pointing back to the same source. Grace that comes from God. It's about the gift giver not about the gift that you're give, not about the gift that you're paying attention to. We like to make differentiations between which gifts matter more because that's what we do, but they're all supernatural. Every gift that lifts up the body as a whole and not the individual is a spiritual gift. But we like what we like doing with gifts and what we're forced to do because of our culture is we start to look at ourselves. If I were to sit down with you over coffee or another beverage and say, what are your gifts? What do we usually do? Well, I'm good at this. I can do that. I have a specific set of skills like Liam Neeson does. Uh, I, 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 I do this well. And we start to talk about ourselves because that's the way we've been wired to do it. If I started talking to you about gifts, you would start telling me of all the things that you're gifted. And we draw attention to ourselves in this way. That's not what the gifts were meant to do. The gifts were always meant to point back to what God has been doing. Christmas morning. How, remember Christmas morning? It was a month ago. Did you sit around your Christmas tree or whatever have you have, open a gift and say, look what I can do now. Is that what you did? No. I, I, my son did, but it, he's three. But that's not the point of the gift. 
The point of the gift is I can go, I open the gift. Carrie got me a sweater that I'm too afraid to wear sometimes, but she says I look good. And I can open it up and I say, look what Carrie got me. Can you believe this? It's amazing. Open up another gift. Look what, look what my mom got us. What's that do? It takes the focus off of us and puts it back on the one who gave the gift. Gifts are given to point to the gift giver. Grace is given to point to the one who gives grace. We simply say, here's the gift that Jesus has given me. And we accept it. And we take it. And we use it in order to point back to him. This is what the gifts are for. They point back to Christ. There's a language that we see whenever Paul talks about the gifts, whether it's here or in Corinth. They're always about the gift giver. Are you gifted? Yes, 100%. Absolutely. There's a lot of gifts given. Each one of them comes from the Spirit. And we are to use those gifts to point back to Jesus because that's what he's prepared us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that. He says you've been saved and you've been gifted and there's a whole bunch of things that are set out in front of you to do. That's my version of Ephesians 2, 8, 8, 9, and 10. There's things in front of you that you're gifted to do so that when you do them, it points back to the gift giver. 1 Corinthians 12, go back to that. It says this in verse 8. To one there is given a spirit of the message of wisdom. Another there's a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit. To another there's the gift by the same spirit. There's another the gift of healing. To another there's miraculous powers. To another there's prophecy. There's distinguishing between the spirits. Another there's different kinds of tongues. And to another there's interpretation of those tongues. All of these are at work by the same spirit who distributes them to each one just as he determines. In Romans he says a little bit more succinct. We have different gifts according to the grace that we've been given. All these gifts point to relationship of Jesus. If you have a gift, keep it pointing to Christ. And this is where we've messed up as a church. We've been misinformed and been, been thought to or been led to believe that we are sort of limited by whatever gifts we think we have. And we limit God's ability to use us because we'll sit back and we'll say, I don't have that gift. Therefore, I can't do this and we limit the giftings and then doing so we limit what god can do we get terrified we can't we take these tests how many of you taken a spiritual gifts test i have i've taken a lot i fail them every time but we take these tests in order to see what we've been given and then we put a limit on what god can do in us if some of these people test way positive on one thing then they get arrogant and then we look at them and go Oh man, look what, they got all these gifts and I don't have one. No, every one of us is gifted and it's not meant to puff each other up. It's meant to go back to Jesus. This is the point of the gift. And so God is able to use all sorts of gifts. God is able to use you in whatever he has called you to do. God has gifted you. Some of us have been gifted with those weird gifts and that's okay. Some of you have prophecy. Some of you have healing. Some of you have tongues and it's terrifying those gifts, are they catch us off guard, but they're active in the church today. You have been given gifts and use them to point back to Christ. Maybe you've been gifted with hospitality and you're like, oh, I've got hospitality. That's not a fun one. Are you kidding? Look around you. Step outside today. Look around you in this room. 
How many people are lonely? That gift is just as supernatural as the gift of healing. Look around. How many people need home? How many people need to see a loving, caring touch? How many people need hospitable people around them? That gift is just as supernatural. That gift is just as miraculous as the sign gifts. You can't limit what God will do to the gifts because when God uses them and it points back to him, these gifts are off the charts. Every single one of them becomes miraculous. It's another thing that happens. We've limited the gifts in church to about anywhere between 9 and 25 gifts. If you count all the gifts passages, that's the number you come to. Some people say it's between there. And this is my thought. Are you telling me that the most creative power in the universe, the one who is the power behind creation, says I can only work in 25 different ways? No. No. Because he's the most creative person in the universe, the, the power behind the voice of creation in Genesis 1. And then each one of you are individual. There's no one like you. Yes, we're all snowflakes. There's no one like us. We're all pretty, pretty butterflies. This is us. This is who we are. We're all individuals. So you take the most creative person in the universe, in God, put them amongst the unique individual as you, and the possibilities for gifting is absolutely limitless. The first gift ever mentioned in the scriptures is in Exodus. It's a man named Bezalel. He's gifted with the power of woodworking. Check Corinthians for me. Is woodworking mentioned? No. But he uses the gift that God has given him, and he builds the tabernacle, the spirit-enabled gifting, builds the tabernacle. What was the tabernacle used for? Worship of God. His gift points back to God. It's a grace given to him to point others back to the one who gave the grace. David, we sing David's songs all the time. We read his psalms. He was gifted with poetry, writing, writing music. Look in Ephesians and tell me where you see music writing. It's not there. Yet God has gifted him spiritually to have a gift that points back to him. It's a spiritual gift. We limit what God can do in us because we don't find the way that we are gifted in Scripture. Many of you are gifted in many different ways. We have folks who are in medicine and they're gifted in medicine. And God is using those gifts to point people back to him. It's a spiritual gift. Many of you are gifted in finance. And God uses those gifts to point back to him. Spiritual gift. Many of you are gifted in a dozen of other different ways. And we limit what God can do by saying it's not a spiritual gift. You've been given the gift. You've been given grace. You have the gift. Use it to point back to Christ. Therefore, it becomes a spiritual gift. God has given you something to do from his grace to point back to him. The Holy Spirit gifts us uniquely and creatively through a relationship with God. And it hinges on our ability to be able to receive whatever gift God wants to give us. You're gifted through grace. 
Then Paul goes on, whenever Paul talks about gifts, he always goes into how to use the gift. In Corinthians, he goes through 1 Corinthians 12, where these are all the gifts. And then we get to 1 Corinthians 13, which is about love, and everyone wants to talk about that one. But, and in here, he says the same thing. He goes, these are the gifts. Now let me show you how to use them. And it all comes back to love. You are gifted from grace, pointing to Christ, and your gift is shown through love. Paul, it starts changing the way that he writes this passage. Instead of using long sentences with all the right verbs and subjects and adjectives, he starts writing what would be equivalent to bullet points. In this next section of of the verses, there's no verbs in the original language. It's this, this. He says, uh, he goes, makes bullet points. Love must be sincere. We've added the verbs. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Verse 11, don't lack in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need and practice hospitality. This is how we offer and use our gifts. It looks like this. Your love must be sincere. In your gift, be sincere. Don't be fake. In your gift, hate what is evil. Have discernment with your gift. Be on the good side of things. There is good, there is evil. Discern the two of them. Be devoted means have affection towards one another. In a good way, have each other's back. The other one is honor one another. Don't always be the loudest person in the room. And when we say that, we all know that one person that is. If you don't know who that one person is, probably you. Here's what he's saying. Have affection towards one another. Honor one another. Practice playing tambourine every once in a while instead of electric guitar. Be the backup. Be the support. Be the quiet one. Let other people have a voice. Don't lack in zeal means be enthusiastic. There's nothing wrong with enthusiasm when you're serving. Be patient. Be joyful. Faithful in prayer. All this to means that we, we are a source of hope when times get rough. Be generous. Means share. Practice hospitality. If generosity is always towards folks in need, hospitality is the kindness that we have towards strangers in this context. It continues to be, be sympathetic, be kind, and be humble. All of this is saying that love is sincere, it's discerning, it's affectionate, it's respectful, it's both enthusiastic and patient, it's generous and hospitable, it's benevolent, benevolent and sympathetic. It's marked by harmony and humility. This is what Paul is saying to a church that's divided on a very divisive issue. He says, if you use your gifts in this way, you won't be so divided because your focus will be on grace. If you operate in anything other than love, you simply distract from the point of the gift given. We can have all the gifts in the universe, but if it's not sincere, respectful, humble, and kind, it's a distraction from the gift of grace that Paul gives us. Without love, none of this comes together in a meaningful way. None of this has anything for us to be afraid of either. It's all a gift given in love so that you can show the grace that's given to you. Someone who loves you comes, comes to you and hands you a present. What do you usually do? You take it. And, and then you probably open it, right? And then you enjoy it. 
This is what God has done. He says, out of my riches of grace, I've given you a gift. Take it. Open it. Don't be too scared to look inside and see what it is. Receive it in grace because it comes from grace. And use it. Use it to bless the world around you. Use it to bless the community around you. So today I want to end by maybe doing something that might make you feel a little bit uncomfortable because we're going to wait and we're going to pause and we're going to pray, but I'm going to ask you to do something first. When you receive a gift, how do you receive it? Right? Can everyone do this? You can try, right? Okay, you receive the gift. It might be a big gift. It might be a little gift. Like that. But we receive the gift. You can put your hands down if you're getting tired. I'm going to explain what's happening here. Don't be afraid. God wants to give you things. He wants to give gifts. He's a good gift giver. He's gracious and kind and loving. He wants to equip you to serve not only this community, but the community around us and the world around us to show, up, show people what he looks like. And so he gives you a gift. Here's some warnings. Let's not be prescriptive of what that gift should look like. You might be doing this with your work. You might be very skilled in the occupation that you have. But God might want to give you a gift that's totally, completely opposite from what you do Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. Maybe you work in hospitality and God wants to give you something with prophecy. Maybe you, you, you work in finance and you don't know anything other and God wants to say, Hey, I want to give you the gift of hospitality and I want you to use it. So let's not be prescriptive with what the gift is. Then, so uh, let's not be afraid. Let's not be afraid to take it and explore it and then use it. The Spirit is infinitely creative and does things in our lives, in our hearts. But first we have to open our hearts out of expectancy and courage, knowing that he's going to use it. And then let's not get weirded out by some of the gifts. Sometimes the gifts drive people away from the church. Talked about spiritual gifts today at church. I'm never going back to that place. They're weird. That's not what they're about. It's about how to equip the body. If you are interested in being a vessel of grace, empowered and gifted by the Spirit, in order to lead people out of love and relationship with God, pointing them to wholeness, then let's ask the Spirit to use us, empower us, and gift us in order not to draw attention to ourselves, but to draw attention to what Christ is doing in each and every one of our lives. In order to do that, we're a part of the church. You're a part of God's body. You are gifted to be a part of it. So let's put our hands out. Let's pray. We're going to wait a little bit. It might get quiet. You might hear things you've never thought you've heard in a church. But let's wait and pray. God, you are a good father. Like every good father, you give us gifts, and every day is Christmas to us. So, Lord, today as we wait, would you give us gifts?
May you fill us up in order to send us out and point back to you. God, we thank you for our, this grace that takes the pressure off of us. It takes the pressure off of us in order that we might live and breathe and move in wherever you have called us to do so. God, we thank you for this gift. Thank you for the ways that you'll be using us. Both in these 25 ways that you've listed in Scripture and the infinite number of ways that aren't in Scripture. The ways you've uniquely shaped each and every one of us to point back to you because of grace. May our lives be vessels May our lives point back to you God, give us courage to simply open our mouths since the word from Ezekiel comes. Fill it with praise that comes back to you. Jesus, you love us so much. You died on the cross. You sent your spirit to enable us and to empower us. So Lord, let us move and operate in your love that you've given. Let's not stick to our norms. But take a risk in what you're calling us to do.